invite you, if you would, to take a Bible and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. It's page 742 if you're using your pew Bible. Luke 18. If you've been here in recent weeks and we've been tracking through um, Jesus' parables in the Gospel of Luke, you might know that we're going back for this one. We kind of had passed this point in Luke's gospel, but I was saving this one for today. Um, where we're talking about God's grace and mercy extended to us in Jesus Christ. We're rejoicing in the gospel. If we do things appropriately today, you should leave joyful. You should leave joyful today. Um, acknowledging your sin and even more than that, acknowledging God's rich grace and mercy that he's extended to us in the person of Jesus. And so we're going to celebrate God's mercy today. Luke chapter 18, we'll start reading in verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and he said, Go, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, um, you probably know this, but uh, Tuesday, I think, is Halloween. Tuesday is Halloween. Um, I hope that you already have your costume sorted out. I hope that if you're not trick-or-treating, I hope you've already purchased your candy. Still a little bit more time. You know, you don't want to be the one house in the neighborhood that gives out apples or something. Right? But you're prepared for the trick-or-treaters who are going to make their way through. And obviously, one of the most important parts of, of Halloween is the costume. It's dressing up. It's pretending to be something or someone that you're not for, for just a little bit of time. And if you came last week, last Sunday, we had our trunk or treat. There were some great costumes that were, that were there. And I'm sure that on Tuesday evening, um, all types of beings are going to knock on your door um, looking for candy. And there's a certain part of dressing up for Halloween that's, that's fun. It's fun to pretend for just a little while to, to be maybe a, a superhero. Um, or to be maybe your favorite character in a movie, or, or whatever it is, to be a professional athlete, perhaps. You get to pretend for a little while, but, but usually by the end of the night, keeping the costume on is a little bit of a challenge. Maybe you start out and your children look perfect to begin with, and after getting in and out of the car enough times, or if walking in the wind, and perhaps this Halloween a little bit of rain. Sometimes those superheroes or princesses come home looking a little bit bedraggled by the end, right? 
Where's my wig? Where's the candy? Maybe the makeup's starting to fade. Holding it together and pretending to be something that you're not, while fun for a season, after a while, it wears you down. Trying to keep the costume together, trying to keep up appearances. And I don't think it's too hard to see the the spiritual correlation that you and I, if we're not careful, we make Christianity about keeping up appearances and pretending to be something that we're not. Pretending that we have it all together on the outside, pretending that, that we are somehow better than others. And here's the thing. It's really, really dangerous when you start believing that you're something that you're not. Imagine, for example, that I dressed up to be Superman and thought I could fly. Well, if I really believed that and jumped off of some building, reality would come crashing in, would it not? And you and I, if we pretend to be righteous on the outside, if we pretend to be something that we're not, not only can it be exhausting, but it can also be dangerous to our hearts. If in the end we start to believe our good press, if we start to believe that perhaps we are more righteous than others, that perhaps we are better than people around us. Jesus tells the parable in Luke chapter 18, very explicitly Luke says, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt, or as the NIV said, who thought they were better than other people. Now, I'm guessing very few of us this morning would say that explicitly. I'm guessing very few of us would stand up and say, hey, um, I'm more righteous than you. Or I'm the best in the Sunday school class. Or fill in the blank. Very few of us would stand up and say that. But perhaps you're like me and you've been in situations where you've thought it. I know I have. I know I've been in situations where I look at other people for whatever reason, maybe their outward appearance, maybe how they behave. And there is this little sneaking voice up in my heart that if I'm not careful, I can think that I'm better than other people and even potentially treat them with contempt. And think, why in the world don't you know better? Why can't you get it together? Why don't you act better? Why can't you effectively be more like me? And Jesus teaches us in this parable that that before God, all of us stand equally condemned in our sin and equally in need of God's grace and God's mercy. So he tells us this parable about two men who went up to the temple to pray, and the first one is a Pharisee. Now, I don't know if they took a poll in Jesus' day among the Pharisees following Jesus' ministry and the production of Luke's gospel, but I would guess that among Pharisees, Luke's gospel was probably their least favorite. If you read through Luke's gospel, the Pharisees come off looking really, really bad. And probably... Pharisees didn't start out intending to become these kind of people. That there probably was something in them, this 
true reverence for God's word, this, this true desire for pursuit of holiness, to, to live into all that God had called his people to do and to be. And in their zeal to not transgress the law, they even made up extra laws and they kind of built this, this fence around. You've seen this in pools, I know, that the pool is dangerous for people who can't swim. So in an effort to stay away from the pool, we built a fence, correct? The Pharisees did something similar with God's law, that they were so worried that they might transgress a law that they built extra laws or a fence around it. But I think it starts with this good intention and this good desire to follow after who God's called them to be. But somewhere along the way, the Pharisees strayed from the true heart of God's purpose and God's law. And they started to look to themselves and not to God for their righteousness. They started to draw boundaries and started to, to act as if they were better than others. And this Pharisee, he comes in and he says prayers that, that you and I, again, would be very nervous praying in front of other people. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. God, I, I thank you that I'm not like fill in the blank, and so he fills in some blanks. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. God, I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. And this um, resume that he gives beginning in verse 12 is really impressive. I fast twice a week. Um, to celebrate Reformation Day, we are not fasting. In fact, we're giving you donuts. <laughs> he said, I fast twice a week, which is, which is remarkable. I give tithes of all that I get. Earlier in Luke's gospel, as Jesus is showing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, he would say they would, they would even tithe the herbs in their garden. They were really zealous to make sure that they tithe to the letter of the law. And so his resume of self-righteousness was impressive. And he thought that all that he had done, all of his works would be enough to, to merit or to earn God's salvation. He thought effectively that he didn't need God. One commentator I was reading this week said, he asked nothing of God, and so he received nothing from God. He was self-sufficient in his sense of righteousness. And then you have this other character in the parable, the tax collector. When the tax collector enters the stage, everybody should say, boo. The tax collector. Likely Jewish by birth, but had made a deal with the Romans to go out and collect taxes, and in this environment, in this political situation, was free to take a little bit extra for himself. And so he had developed um, quite a reputation in the community. He'd be the person that maybe you would pass on the street and just think, hmm. Like, there he is. 
At least I'm not as bad as that tax collector over there. And everybody in Jesus' day, they didn't have to be told these things. They just know. When they hear the parable, Pharisee, example of committed righteousness, example of someone who's going above and beyond to keep God's law, tax collector, lowest of the low, worst of the worst. And if the Pharisee is self-aware of his own sense of righteousness, then the tax collector is fully aware of how bad he is. He's fully aware of how bad he is. So he comes into the temple and he stands far off. Just by his location in the temple, he's kind of distancing himself, kind of like, I'm not a part of those people. I'm not a part of the self-righteous. I'm not a part of the good people. I don't even really deserve to be in the temple, so I'm just going to stand over here by myself. And he wouldn't even look up to heaven. He wouldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven. And he beat his breast and listened to his prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Really short prayer, isn't it? And really powerful prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You see, the tax collector was under no illusion that he was righteous in and of his own ability or in and of the things that he had done on his own. He, he knew that he had nothing to plead before the Lord. And you get this sense of shame and you get this sense of doubt that he should even appear in the temple. There's nothing about the good things that he's done. There's nothing about, hey, I've been to Sunday school every Sunday this year. Look at my pens. Here's my tithing record. Here's how many times I read the Bible this week. Here are all the people that I've led to the Lord. There's nothing, he has nothing to plead. Imagine yourself in a courtroom and you know that you're dead to rights. There's no excuse, there's nothing, you're, you're caught red-handed, you've done it. In that moment, the only thing that you can plead is what? Mercy. If you get what you deserve, you will get punishment. All that you can plead for is mercy. You can probably relate to this if you've ever gotten pulled over for speeding. Any of you ever gotten pulled over for speeding? Happens a lot on Overton. Don't go over 25 near my house. I promise you. Happens a lot. And if you have, you know that moment where the officer's walking up to your car window. Like, how do I play this? What excuse do I have for what I was doing? <clears throat> do I make an excuse? Do I cry? Do I, right? How's he going to respond? But you know that if you get what you deserve, you're going to get punishment. In that moment, all that you can ask for is, is mercy. Be merciful to me. And so that's what the tax collector says. He says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus makes an interesting comment about 
the tax collector. He says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who humbles himself, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The one who's declared righteous or justified is not the one that everybody would have picked. Not the one who was looking to his own righteousness or his own obedience or his own record. But the one that Jesus says went down to his house justified or declared righteous is the one who knew that his only hope in life was mercy. For God to be merciful to him as a sinner. And the same is true for every one of us in this sanctuary this morning. The same is true for every person in this sanctuary this morning. It matters not what people in the community think about you. It matters not how successful you are or people perceive for you to be. It matters not if you are just barely getting by in your classes or if you are a National Merit Award winner. None of that stuff ultimately matters when you and I approach the Lord. That each and every one of us is a sinner. And were God to call us to give an account for our lives and the things that we've done, the things we haven't done, the things we've said or haven't said, the things that we've thought or haven't thought, all of us would be like those on the side of the road, knowing that our only hope is mercy, like those before a judge and all the evidence is against us, all that we can hope for is mercy. And the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is is that is exactly what God loves to do. That God desires not to give us judgment, but he desires to give us mercy and grace and salvation, not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of our faith in what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And that ought to fill you with an incredible amount of hope and joy this morning. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ through faith and you've never repented of your sins and you look at yourself and you think, hey, I don't think this Christianity thing is for me. If you knew who I am and what I've done and where I've been and how far short I've fallen of God's grace, you would know that this is not for me. And the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that, yes, it is for you. That if you are shut out or you are shunned or you are separated in every area of your life, it's not how God operates. That all that you have to have to experience salvation is this awareness of your need and this desire to receive and embrace God's mercy and God delights to extend mercy to you in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you think that you're better than other people, or you think you have to be 
better than other people or you have to keep up appearances. The good news of the gospel is that, that you don't have to do anything to earn God's love or his favor. It's not that we're supposed to go through life like the kid who's trying to keep the Halloween costume together. We're not supposed to go through life thinking that everybody thinks that we're perfect or our kids are perfect or our work is perfect or fill in the blank. But the truth of the matter is that, that everybody here, that we are a mess. Amen? And apart from God's grace and mercy in the person of Jesus, you and I have no hope. But God has been so gracious to extend it to us. He gives us mercy, not based on our merit or what we've earned, but he gives it to us because of what he's done for us in Jesus, because he is gracious and merciful. He is full of steadfast love, and he pursues us. And that ought to make us the most joyful people. It ought to make us the most that you and I ought to go out into the world with this message of the gospel and hold it out to people who are struggling to make it, who are struggling to hold it together, who are struggling to act as if everything is good on the outside when they know that they're not. And we have this message of hope in the gospel. We can say, hey, here's the good news. Um, you think you're bad? Well, it, you are. But the good news is that God comes toward you, not in judgment. He comes toward you, offering you salvation and grace and mercy, and all that you have to do is receive it by faith. I pray that God would, would make us more and more a church that's centered in and, and, and built upon this profession of faith of the good news of Christ, and that we would be the most joyful, gracious, kind, merciful people that that inhabit this city and surrounding neighborhoods. And people would say, what in the world is going on with those people? We just say, we're just rejoicing in the good news of the gospel and all that God's done for us in Christ. And here's the thing. Anybody can be a part of this. Anybody can be a part of this. There's a pastor who used to be in Nashville. This church is called Emmanuel Church. It was Ray Ortland. And they had this mantra at their church, which I think is pretty great. Um, I'm a loser. I'm incredibly loved by God. Anybody can get in on this. Anybody can get in on this. So go today, just don't go looking at your shortcomings, don't look at the ways that you fall short, don't look inward. Go throughout the rest of your day and this week looking to Jesus. And let the gospel keep reverberating in your ears and your heart. And I think that as you experience more joy in the relationship God's given you in Jesus, he's going to use you to be an instrument of his grace to invite others to come into that same salvation and joy that you have. May it be. May it be in me and in you and in us as a community. I invite you to pray with me. God, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you for your word. That we don't have to sit around and wonder about what you might be like. That we don't have to 
craft you in our own mind or imagination, but we can take up your word and read. And in this story of Scripture, we read of your character on full display, that you are gracious and merciful, that you are abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That if we confess our sins to you, you remove them as far as the east is from the west to remember them no more. So, Lord, we pray that you would restore to us the joy of your salvation, that we would know that we don't have to pretend or to act, but we can be sincere and vulnerable in our relationship with you and with each other, that we might experience the abundant life that Christ died and rose from the dead for us to know. We love you. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. If you're here this morning and you've never publicly professed your faith in Christ, um, then the invitation is for you to come forward if you feel like God's leading you to do that. Or if you would just sincerely